Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Something from the Ballroom, where we celebrate some of the great and the good who've graced Saturday Night Telly's most famous dance floor, and the white wine question time sofa, of course. Lucky punch. Today's episode is with, well, head judge, head girl, Shirley Ballas, the woman who was deemed, well, qualified enough to fill the great shoes of the late Len Goodman. I spoke to her back in 2020 about her own extraordinary dancing career, how her son actually signed her up to become a Strictly judge. He's a pro himself. That won't come as a surprise. And, well, about the extraordinary life that's seen her go from Liverpool to Hollywood, back to London, and on to the most famous panel on Saturday Night Telly. Shirley Ballas, thank you so much for dialing in, even though we are probably just five minutes from one another. We're, we're, we're neighbours. We're neighbours. That's so exciting. I never knew that, Kate. That's great. I'm going to meet you in the park for a coffee. Absolutely. Or even better still, for wine. Let's do wine. <laughs> Let's do that. Because um, I, I don't know, I mean, before you came along on Strictly, I hosted the first, I think, four or five years of all the Strictly Arena tours. And I discovered, it's the, the ballroom world is so small. Um, so I discovered that as a kid, like you, I loved competing in ballroom dancing. Oh. And I worked out when I did the first tour that Len used to be my judge. Wow. That I wonder if I ever judged you. That's the thing. Right off, Shirley. I mean, I can still just about remember a cha-cha and a jive, all the basic steps. But I used to teach kids, in, in exchange for um, teaching toddlers how to do ballroom, I would get my dance classes for free at the Freddie Clark 
uh, School of Dance. And did you ever know Freddie Clark? No, the name rings a bell. I have heard yeah. of the Freddie Clark School of Dancing. There you go. So I literally fell face down into Behind the Sequins. And it, I mean, literally, it was so sensory for me. I mean, just all of the, I mean, it just, just the sequins of the tan jumps off the page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Even in Strictly, everybody enjoys their spray tan. Oh, and then in the early days, it used to be number seven tan or sudden tan. You used to get it, put it on with a sponge and you'd go literally, literally the darkest colour. It was always great on the competition floor. Mahogany. Something like that. <laughs> exactly and the pictures of you from back in those days as well when you were competing um I mean you were the queen of the ballroom and when you look at the number of achievements and the awards that you won I mean if, if anybody was ever going to fill Len's shoes you made total sense and yet appear, apparently to the British public you came from nowhere I came from nowhere yes nowhere as in being nobody knew who I was um, I had no TV experience to say, you know, I'd never been in front of the camera. Of course, I'd observed Dancing with the Stars when my son went on it at 21 and he's only just left it and he's 33. So I would go and they had two shows a year. So it was six months of the year. So that's where I met Bruno. And I'd go every week without fail to support him and Derek and Julianne. We won that Mirrorball trophy 10 times in the United States in our family. And um yeah, it was it was quite an experience. And then, of course, I was bullied in my industry and my son suggested I go for the job. And I, I didn't want to at 57. No one employs 57 year old women who have no TV experience. No one. So but my son said, go, go, mum. I think that you fit the profile. At least have a go. You've always told me to try and have a go. So I thought, OK, let me have a go. So I went under my own esteem. No manager, no, no one helping. I did it myself. And the first interview was not so great, but the second interview I, I did well in. And thank you to Louise Rainbow for believing in me. I love this this as a story, Shelley, because you're right. It's really hard um, to get a gig with no experience on telly, regardless of your age, let alone at 57 when you're not known in the UK. And this is the biggest entertainment show in the land. It doesn't get bigger than Strictly. Uh, what 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 held you back? Were, were you told not to? Well, uh, no, not as regards Strictly. So I'll just say men at the top. My industry, my personal industry, is a male-dominated industry. And for many years from a young child, I experienced bullying. And then it intensified from when I was about 50, exactly when I was about 50, actually, up until 57, it was really quite intense. There was people at the top stopping me getting little judging jobs for 50 pounds. I had a job in Bulgaria that I was going to go and see my friends. They were retiring and they wanted me to go and watch them dance and I could judge. I said, okay. And then the, the group that were employing me were warned, she's not fit material. And if you employ her, then we will take your license. Now that was just obscene and and I got to find out you know through the back channels who said what so even though I've never confronted them to this day I know exactly who said it I know exactly who stopped me but um that's what pushed my son I was losing couples because different men were telling them you know there's nine of us in our group and there's one of her in her group the fact that I could probably do as much work as a single woman as it took all nine of them to do I think that was half the problem. I don't say that in a big headed way. I can see that they didn't like a successful woman. They didn't like it, particularly one with an opinion. And with form. I mean, there is no denying your dance credentials. You, uh, you know, if you cut you in half, you would bleed ballroom and Latin. Well, Latin, actually. 
I mean, you did, and even when you'd had your son and you came back to the UK and you'd already been, you know, you'd won the biggest titles in the land. They said, you know, you were told, well, don't try competing again. And you did. And you didn't just win the title once. You went back the second year and got it again. Well, I won the Open to the World British Championships, the, the most prestigious event in the year from a very meteoric rise. And I won that at 23. And then all the drama set in and I left my first husband, who's my neighbour. So I left I know, my first... I know, I love this. Your, your, your ex-husband lives next door and your fiancé that you almost married before husband number one is your financial advisor that lives locally. <laughs> So then, you know, of course, then there's big drama and I ran away and I moved to America, didn't want to dance anymore. Cut a long story short, after three months, I knew all I needed was a holiday and I'd already got myself <laughs> in this situation. And I took a pure beginner where everybody, without exception, in England told me, you know, you've left, don't bother to try to come back. And I decided to take Corky on as a virtual beginner in my top industry and teach him to dance. And then in 1994, so came back in 84 and made the first round. And my previous partner I'd won with was second. Oh. So out of the hundreds and hundreds of couples, you know, I, I managed to get one recall, but then worked hard, worked hard, worked hard, got pregnant, wasn't planning Mark, but got pregnant. So then he had to come with us. I never gave up, even though everybody told me it's enough you've won it once but had something to prove because everybody had said you know you made this decision no one will back you you know and it was my decision it wasn't the world's decision so why wouldn't you back me it was my decision so I wanted to prove a point to myself it wasn't to anybody else but to myself that with work hard trained somebody from scratch and then came back in 1995 to beat my ex-husband who had stayed in either first or second place from 83 to 95. He had never not been in the final. He had never not been in the top two. And I think that was a, <laughs> a huge celebration for myself. You know, and I thank Sammy because he taught me all I needed to know in those first five years. And I used that information and I, I trained, you know, somebody as a beginner, like he trained me. And I came back and I think, and then I wanted to try one more time and see if I could do it again. And we did, we successfully won everything again in 96. And then that was enough for me. Then that candle burned out of, okay, I think I've made my point here and made my mark that uh, you are a female in a man's industry that can do well without very, with very little support. And it's nuts, isn't it? Because by virtue of, of the fact that this is this is the dance world, you need men and women are equally as necessary. You don't, you know, nobody wins. These are couples performing. It's a man and a woman. Why is it so heavy in and male in, in in terms of the male domination? Um, I think you could look at the American politics and see the same type of thing. You know, you get a certain person at the top of the tree and th th then they can be narcissistic. They can be with an ego. You know, I had to learn all about the male ego and, you know, they're dominant and they're powerful and people believe what they say. And that's the kind of thing I faced in the ballroom and Latin mm -hmm. industry on a smaller scale, of course, but in that bubble, it was very similar. In fact, I watch all that in the United States, what's going on. And it reminds me how grateful I am to be in the situation I am. And I think strictly they changed my life completely. So um, I wanted to dive in with three questions for you because 
I mean, I mean, I could talk to you all day, and I know this already, because your book is like something Jackie Collins would have dreamt up, except it's not fiction, it's your actual life. Uh, there is so much that I want to hear from you. So my first question to you is, they say that fortune favours the brave, and I'd love to know some examples of when that's been true for you. Fortune favours the brave. Well, I think from a young child not having anything and then, you know, just getting these opportunities with different people along the way, you know, 12, 13, 14. I just, with my mother's work ethic, she always used to say to me, you can make something of yourself if you've got good work ethic, if you're in control of your own destiny, you must be in control of your own destiny. You must not listen to people who tell you you can't. She instilled that to me in a very, very young girl. I mean, I can see her words in my ears now. And, and I think that being brave and making decisions on my own terms, even though people didn't agree with them, I think is where I became fortunate. I was brave, I became fortunate financially, I became an independent woman. I've never, ever, ever relied on a man for my income. And I'm really? proud of that. Never, ever. Good not from you. the beginning, not with not with night, not from 14 when I was working in the hairdressers or helping mommy deliver leaflets or going to where she worked in Finnegan's and having everybody who wants dessert and they put their hands up and I'd be the little, you know, waitress. From any of that, I my mother always told me, everything you earn needs to be your own. And then it's up to you how you share it. But don't ever find yourself in a situation where you're dependent on another person. That was drilled into me. And I mean, you were raised by a mother who literally, I mean, she she was on her own. She worked as many jobs as she could to, to help you uh, fulfill your ambition to dance. Right down to driving a forklift truck because it paid well. Paid a pound more than sitting on the end. She used to sit on the cake factory in Cadbury's and all the little cakes had come down and she'd be responsible for putting the jelly tot on top of the cake. And she <laughs> said she, she used to get nervous. And I, this is where I learned that she used to get nervous to go to the bathroom because she knew everybody would be slagging each other off. So, you know, and I learned that about gossip and watching your back. You know, she'd share her stories with me from a young age. And then the job came up for the forklift truck driver. It paid a pound a week more. She's five feet. She weighs about seven stone. She's the tiniest dot of a thing. You know, she's half my size. And, uh, and she went for that job and she got that job successfully. And she worked on the forklift truck and she brought that little bit extra in and yeah, I cannot, I, you know, I remind her all the time because, you know, with David dying and everything, she she often wonders whether she was an amazing mother. Let me tell you, she is, be, I know we all love our mothers, but she went beyond the call of duty against all her friends saying she'll never amount to anything. She comes from a housing estate. You've got no money. You don't have a car, a phone, a fridge. You have nothing, Audrey. Why are you spending all your money on that? that child and and in the book they interviewed my mother and I loved the line which she had never said to me she said well I guess I backed the right horse and that made me cry ah. because you know I shall be in ever in her debt and every part of this success is her joining me every article that I get every magazine I'm on the front cover of I get her a copy she's every day in the loop judging my hair, whether she likes it. And what about the dress on a Saturday? What shoes shall I wear? And, you know, so I never, ever forget what she's done for me, for sure. I mean, stoic. And, you know, I mean, it's 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 more commonplace. I mean, I'm a single parent. Um, so I, I work, I raise my son on my own. Nobody bats an eyelid in this day and age. But when your mum was doing it, she would have been 
on the fringes of of what would have been accepted as a as normal society, I guess. Well, I like it what she said. She says she was on the bones of her ass. That was the expression wow. she used, you know, and come Friday, you know, she never liked to ask the neighbor for a pound to borrow or a cup of sugar. And I, from a young age, never had a problem. So I would do that for her. And, um, you know, people used to skip because we didn't have a dad back then. You know, lots of kids on the housing estate all had families, even though we didn't have much. And they stand at the school gate and laugh if we had school dinners and you don't have a dad and, you know, just horrible things they said. And I where my brother crumbled under that a little bit, I flourished on it. So mm. I think that's why I can handle my social media and the horrible things that are said to me on social media. I think because of those early years, I thank those people that were mean. I, I do. You know, but I got a hot school dinner every day. That's why I'm fully on for all everybody having a meal in this day and age, mm. the children during lockdown or whatever. It's important that the government listen, that they, that they get some milk and that they get a decent right. meal. Because you back in my day, I got half a pint of milk and, and I got school dinner. How did that you know, carry you through that? into the, to the adult moments in your life where you had to display great bravery? Well, like I said, with everything that she taught me and the lessons that she taught me growing up, and, and I always felt my life was a little bit swimming upstream. And I don't think I always, when I turn 16, as we do when we're teenagers, that I always listened to what she said. But nine times out of 10, she was always right. You know, when I left Sammy, she didn't agree with it. When I moved to America, she didn't agree with it. She was shocked when I got pregnant in the middle of my career. And there were so many things. And I just think that her wisdom and her guidance, she let me be who I was, but she always gave me her opinion. Yeah. Always gave me her opinion. So I would listen to it and then I would have to take responsibility for the decisions that I made. And I think that now, you know, she's 83, I'm 60, we can sit back and we look back on those things. And like she said, it's molded you who you are. She said, sometimes I wonder if you came out of my womb, Shirley, she says, because we're <laughs> so different. She's so private, wouldn't ask you for anything. If I need help, I'll ask. You know, I'm, I'm happy to share if it helps somebody else in their life. I've used Strictly as a platform for mental health for cancer, for all these different things. You know, my mom says, I don't know how you can write a book. I don't know how you can share. I said, but mom, if we share, we could be helping somebody. And, and your mom's right. She might choose not to use hers or just to use it on a sort of local level with her friends and her peers. But if you've got an opportunity and a desire to, to broadcast that, then great. And, and I think- Or inspire, so to inspire people. Absolutely. That they might have a dream, you know, there might be some child somewhere on a housing estate or anywhere for that matter, who's got dreams and aspirations and they're told they can't, you won't, we can't afford it. Keep pursuing forward. We couldn't afford it. We didn't have the things, but somehow little opportunities came and I had choices which road I took. And I took those road, roads, even though people didn't agree with them, and I pushed forward and never gave up. I don't feel I ever gave up. You talk um, in the book about your tenacity and your absolute kind of conviction to keep going and, you know, try your best. But have there been times in your life when actually it's made more sense to quit and walk away? Well, I think after I got married to Sammy when I was about 18 and then we won the British Championships in when I was 22, I believe. In 1983, I was just 22. Um, I just 
had had enough. I just felt like all my life it was work, 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 work on the hamster wheel, shift, 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 when all I really probably needed was a good holiday. And then, of course, <laughs> I made that decision to move to the United States. And I, it was so intense. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to dance anymore. I don't. I, I almost gave up on my dream. I got with Corky. He was a restaurateur. He had a very wealthy family. And and after three months of being with him, and after I was rested, fully rested, I wanted to come home and get back with Sammy. And that wasn't going to work. I did. I called him, Sammy, have me back. I'm, I'm miserable. It's not what I want. And, um, and Sammy had already got a new partner by that time, and he didn't want that. And I called my mother, and she said, you made your bed, you lie in it. You have a choice. You come home. Or you stay with this guy, perhaps you can train him from scratch. And um, I got myself in a situation where I wasn't accepted anymore in Great Britain. I felt coming back wasn't the right thing. So that was the choice I made then to train Corky from scratch. And that was the hardest journey I ever did in my entire life because he was not easy to teach. He was opinionated and, you know, it was difficult. <laughs> but we got there in the end. So you you'd made the decision almost quite spontaneously by the sounds of it to just leave Sammy, go to the States, try something. What had driven you to that? What what had been the, the force behind such, I suppose, unhappiness? Well, I, we, Sammy and I got together at a very young age, 17, 18. And back then in those days, everyone got married. Um, Sammy and Shirley Stopford, Alan and Hazel Fletcher, Keith and Judy Clifton, you know, the Kevin and Kevin's mum. And yeah. uh, we were all in the same boat. It just seemed to be what happened. I mean, what do you know about love at that age? You know, we'd only known each other six months. We were engaged. And I think that we got married. It was all work, 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 work. And there was no reprieve. There was no date night. There was no getting to know you. Um, no flirting, nothing. It was just what it was. And dance, 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 dance. And then when I think I felt I'd missed out on something, you know, I had no teenage years. I never went on dates. I never went out to nightclubs. I never did any of those things that maybe the teenagers do. And then when I got to that age, I thought I was missing out. So I up and off met this man, gorgeous looking, all parties and fun and this and that. And after three months, I realized that's not for me. This is not and for how me. And how had you met him? Where had, where had he kind of popped up from? Sammy and I went to the Classique de Quebec in Canada and that's where we met him. He was doing a pro amateur event. So what you see like on Strictly with a professional mm -hmm. and an amateur, he was, and it was my first time to see a pro amateur event. And we noticed him, we thought, oh, you know, that, that's a pretty good beginner pro-am couple. And then because obviously he was from a wealthy family, he came and met Sammy, said, I'd like to bring you both to Houston, Texas to try to teach me to dance and dance in the Texas challenge. Would you be willing to do that? So we were at the Classic de Quebec in the February and by the March, we went off to the United States. It's all in my book there and Corky and I fell in love and it was a whole year before I left and lots of drama and decisions and choices. And, uh, and I just thought, yes, I could live with this man who had this other side of life that I'd never experienced. It must have been a very different world because he's from a quite fabulously wealthy background and just just living life in a very different social circle to the one that you'd been raised in, for sure. Well, it was lovely at the beginning. You know, it was lovely. And I was go out with his mother to all these parties with hats and suits and off we'd go to, to mix with these people. And it was all so interesting. But by party number 20... It was enough. I just wanted to talk about my cha-cha-cha and they wanted to talk about anything and everything I wasn't familiar with. So I fast realized it, you know, money isn't everything. 
It, it's not everything. I fell in love with Cork. He was good looking. He was charming. He was fun. Had this brilliant big family, five brothers and sisters, great parents, solid. And I think I fell in love with that aspect of it. Mm. And uh, and then, of course, it was meant to be because I have my beautiful son who is yeah. my life. Life would not be worth living without him for sure. So he is my everything. It's the apple of my eye. How's it working out for you? Because I know that you've you've said, and I completely get this, that you have to speak to your son every day. How's it been in lockdown, not being able to see him hop on a plane? Because you're living on opposite sides of the Atlantic. Well, I saw him every six weeks, even though I lived here, I'd fly over there, I'd work over there, you know, and spend time with him. And, and then often he was on Broadway, performing on Broadway. So it was just a little hop, skip and a jump and finish strictly on the Saturday, hop on the plane on a Sunday and be back by the Friday. Wow. Uh, very, very difficult. So I haven't seen him since last Christmas. <gasps> oh, so, but, gosh. but as I've written in my book, you know, I thought Mark was going to be a girl. I had three ultrasounds. I called him Elizabeth. He came home in pink clothing. <laughs> so although he's a very masculine man and married, he does have those traits of calling and checking in on his mother. He knows I'm on my own. He knows I've had some difficult decisions to make. And he is a hands-on son, right down to my social media. If he's monitoring me all that, I call him the Twitter police. And um, he was the one who gave me the nudge for the Strictly job, follows up every week, you know, and, you know, just be yourself, mom. He's the one who dressed me in the power clothing. You know, you need to have this, um, what's the name of that lady, Laura, that did the movie? who had the plower clothing. Oh, Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada. So yes. he said, that's that's how I foresee my mum. So, you know, let's get these suits going and this and that. So he's very, very hands-on boy. And he's brought me so much joy, married to a beautiful wife. I'm so glad he's got a beautiful wife and, you know, good friends, Derek and Julianne and other people around him. So, yeah, I miss him like you would. You don't get that cuddle and pick up and swing oh. his mum round and tell her off and then love her and, you know, what yeah. are you doing? And I love you. Uh, it's the deepest love in the world, isn't it? And you talk as well about Derek and Juliana. Um, and for the listeners, um, you trained Derek and Juliana at Hoff, um, who actually flew to the UK and lived with you and Corky to, to, to well, become well, the actually, great world-beating dancers they are. Well, to be honest with you, a lot of children passed through along the way. Michelle Mueller, Felix Castillo, all went on to be highly successful trained people. And then we met Derek and Julianne in Utah, young people, family was going through a divorce and Derek had asked, you know, I'd like the same opportunities as Mark and I'd love to come and, and be Mark's brother kind of thing. We gave Mark the choice, cut a long story short, they came to live with us. Derek was with us 10 or 11 years, Julianne five, six years, and both went off as with Mark to be highly successful on Dancing with the Stars, plus have their own stage shows, Broadway's you name it, they've done it. So it's nice to be a part of anybody's life that's passed through. But I still, even to this day, am helping so many, even online. I can, I've got little six and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds, and I, I look at them and they're doing online competitions and they're doing so well. It's just great to be a part of somebody's future and to sit back and be a proud of their achievements and know that you were a, a small part in what they did. Huge part for, for Derek and Juliana. I mean, Thank beyond you. mentor, like a, a mother and a mentor rolled into one. And that's a long time for, for, for Derek, for example, a decade of living with you. Yeah. Yeah. So he he did Footloose in the West End and Mark did Buddy Holly. And, you know, I got to see all those shows and I've been to see him on Radio City, Derek. And now, of course, he's a judge on Dancing with the Stars. 
you know, all mm-hmm. Emmy nominated, all Emmy, all three of them Emmy nominated and Emmy winners, you know, multiple times Dancing with the Stars from his 10 times we've won that Mirrorball trophy in that family. So, yeah, it's it's been marvellous to um, stay in touch and see where they're at. Now, of course, they're all back in America and surrounded again by their own family. And, and I watch from a distance and I speak to them on occasions and... Uh, yeah, Derek was one of the first ones when I got bullied on 2017 that he would write those tweets. And that meant a lot that he was watching from a distance and uh, was still able to talk on my behalf. So that was nice. I mean, gosh, what a lot you've achieved and what a lot you've given to dance. I mean, it, it is your life. Um, when when the Strictly opportunity came up, I know you thought that you, you didn't have a chance or a shot. But was there a part of you that actually thought, hang on a minute, I'm probably better qualified than anyone else on this list? To be, to be heading up that panel? Well, it depends what you mean by qualified. So when it comes to TV, I had no qualifications at all. When it came to anything to do with Borum and Latin, I was at the top of my game. Um, and I didn't, I've, I've always lacked in self-esteem all my life. I know that seems hard to believe, but I've struggled with that, with counselling, with this, that and the other. So no, I didn't. It was like I said, my son gave me a nudge, a further nudge, and then a fucking great big boot in the back. <laughs> you will go and try. So, I mean, it was like, you know, and then it was, I didn't want him to think I was a, a chicken or I, I, I didn't want to try because I was frightened of defeat. Or something like that. So yeah. I I thought I'd better try here because this is also an example <laughs> to him. And he wrote that to me in a recent card. He said, you know, you you give me that, mum, never give up, you know, because I, I must because he's in the music industry and things have been tough and he's very successful, you know, is with his wife BC Jean, who wrote the song If I Were a Boy, you know, they're successful, but things are difficult in the music industry. But I love the messages he writes, you never give up. That's what you've given me. And and I see him and he stays positive and he's learned how to do pro tools and he's learned his own, he built himself his own studio and then he records from home, you know, so where there's a will, there's a way. And although I need his support, um, not that I'm codependent on him, probably was in the past, but lately, you know, we we support each other and and without him nudging me, you'll go, you know, it's a... Sometimes I wouldn't have bothered. At 57, who would bother? You've done it. You've set up, you have your home, you've got your family. Uh, but thank goodness he did because it's it's just a dream come true. And it's so wonderful, so wonderful to be part of people's lives at home, you know, and bring joy. And it really does. I mean, it sounds to me like he's very much his mother's son because... Uh, We're so alike. We are you so really alike. are. <laughs> well, we never go to bed on an argument. He says his piece. I say my piece, we might cool off for an hour or two, but it's always that you know I love you and you know I love you too. So Uh, we'll never be one of those families that falls out for a year, six months or two days. It will never be that. I will never allow it to be that. I remember when he got married, my mother said to me, never fight with the wife, Shirley. They have pillow talk. Make sure it's your job to get along. It's not her job to get along with you. So I took that advice and I have a great relationship with my daughter-in-law. That is probably very good advice, actually. Yes, for sure. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You touched on your lack of self-esteem and that brings me to, to my third question for you because through through researching your story, there were there were passages of, of things that you'd said that I read that made me feel really quite sad, Shirley. I mean, you, you, you came out last year and you, you, you turned up to work on Strictly having had your breast implants removed um, like that week, you know, no, no hanging around to recuperate, on, on, off you go. And you spoke very openly about the fact that maybe in hindsight you've regretted the decision, you hadn't researched it. And you said the reason for having the operation in the first place was you had low self-esteem and body uh, body confidence issues. And you said, I thought I'd look better for my ex-husband and he would find me more desirable. But if somebody doesn't love you, they just don't love you and you can't make them love you. What I've realized now is that I just want to be comfortable in my own skin. And you talk about the fact that you used to go to bed in full makeup with painted nails and this constant kind of, I don't know, trying to to impress him. And now you're with somebody that asks you to take all of that stuff off and strip yourself bare. You have a, a new partner, Danny, who to me sounds like you finally learned to love you because he loves you for you. You've said it absolutely correctly, absolutely correctly. But what I'm also learning is low self-esteem. It, it starts with me. So even though there's other people that might you know, chip away at you, chip, 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 chip. It starts with me. So I have to learn to love myself. I have to learn to be comfortable in my own skin, which to this day is still a bit of a struggle. You know, when I, some things I didn't share in the book, but I'm not comfortable at strictly with anybody who's saying, oh, you look great, you're brilliant, you're this. I just can't, everybody knows not to comment. They know not to comment. I can't, it's uncomfortable for me. I, I like to do the best job and stay focused and go into my world. But I, I don't know what it is in me, actually. I think it comes from a very, very small child and, you know, at school and other parents. And I remember one parent saying when I got a boy partner, she said, oh, you're going to have, you'll be a teenager and he won't like you because you've got spots and you'll leave pop marks all over your face. I mean, these are, you know, they, they go back and you don't forget them, you know, you don't forget them. It's it's really strange. You you said, um, I, I thought this was a beautiful way of describing this kind of about turn that you've had. And you might not be completely at, at peace with yourself, but far more at peace. You said um, there was one evening when Danny said to you, um, you're going to go to bed with your, with your makeup on. And he mm -hmm. then took off your eyelashes and he wiped all your makeup off 
and and he said to you he said to me oh there she is that's the girl I fell in love with you know he and was then, un unzipping and you know you don't have to have, mm -hmm. look no false nails look at that no false nails all my life oh. I wore these big talons and eyelashes and makeup and and now I'm comfortable in a pair of sweats and very little makeup you know so uh, you yeah. just had that moment as saying that was a huge rock off my back and huge. and it made me sad that at 50 whatever age you were when that moment occurred um that you've waited that long for that level of self-acceptance that that made me yeah, sad 58 yeah it was it was a moment it certainly was a moment it's a moment I'll never forget but uh, with Danny you know he likes every you know, you get older and you wake up, there's another bump or a lump or a dint or a <laughs> you're not there yet, darling, but trust me. So when you oh, get trust to me, it age... takes an hour for my face to wake up these days. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, my mother, she's great at 83, but, uh, you know, you, you look at yourself and every day it's changing. It's a bit more of this or that. And it's self-acceptance. And I, I do struggle with it. I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, and I have a good partner and, you know, he loves every part of me warts and all as they say but until I can accept it it doesn't matter who accepts it or who thinks what it's just like you know saying things but they don't penetrate because I stop them here yeah because I have to find myself and I'm I'm in the process of doing that I think we have much healthier attitudes towards body shapes and um healthier attitudes towards eating well rather than dieting but you you were a star of those shows at a time when actually there was a very unhealthy attitude about it all. You were, you would, would it would be quite common for dancers to be pulled aside and told you've got to lose some weight. You're too fat. Oh, hundred percent. That's what they said. They used the word fat. They did. I remember standing in Miami ready to go on for the United States championships a year that we had a chance of winning and Corky. Now bear in mind was very tiny, beautiful physique, 27 inch waist, quite broad shoulders. He was only five foot six in stature, but perfectly arms, legs, everything was in proportion. And I remember a lady behind me said, Oh my goodness, Shirley, your bum is twice the size of his. Ha, ha, ha. But you know what? It wasn't funny. No. It wasn't funny. I then had to go on and dance a major final, trying to get back up to the top with this beginner fella that I'd trained. And everybody used to look at him like this perfect physique. And I, my arms were too fat or my bum was too fat or not fat in relationship, just too big in relationship for a dancer who wants to be a world champion. Everything's visual. Should it be? No, not at all. Is it? Absolutely. And anybody who says in my industry it's any different is lying. They did write-ups on if it jiggles and it wiggles, cover it up. In other words, we're fishnets. So, you know, really? oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, it's something wrong with your knees there. Oh, maybe you should have your eyes done or, you know, visually it's not. Absolutely. I mean, you know yourself when people walk into a room most people will judge that the way they walk, the way they stand, the way they sit, what they're wearing. You know, obviously over the years it's getting better, but that's what the society that we're in, you can see it. I feel it when I go somewhere. And if I don't select a dress of choice, like I got bombarded on um, social media this week, some people liked my blue dress. Another lady said, you're minging, horrible <laughs> dress. Get it off, too old. But I mean, I just feel sorry for people that would even sit there and open Twitter and compose that tweet to somebody that they don't know. I mean, what, why would you do that? 
Well, because sometimes perhaps they're in lockdown. Let's use lockdown as as, as the way means forward at the moment. They, they don't have much else and they reach out or or if somebody gets eliminated, they respond straight away instead of thinking, let me let me answer that tomorrow. And and I forgive them for saying that. Like my mom said, everyone's entitled to an opinion, but you can have your opinion. You know what, Shirley, I'm not really keen on your dresses this week. Love the one last week, maybe. But you don't have to. It's not what they say. It's the way they say it. I mean, I'm used to criticism in a big way, in a big way. So yeah. I can accept it, but uh, just perhaps the way some people word it, if they're listening, would be nice. But in my industry, it was tough. It was tough, you know, and you were up against other girls that I always had a very curvy shape. I was to get super thin, as I did in 2017 on Strictly and drop down to a size six. You know, it was hard work. It was almost not eating. I cannot, I will, I cannot and will not do that to myself again. You know, I Why flick did you do that though? Well, did you um, feel that you had be, and this was in my my own head. It was in my own head, so I want to make that clearly. You know, I was going on with this most beautiful woman who I had admired, you know, Darcy Bustle, and she was so mm. slender and so tall and so graceful, and she just seemed, in my own mind, everything I wasn't. So I just took those extra steps to make sure the dress was hanging right and the makeup was right and the hair was right. And, and not in competition with her, but in competition with myself to not want mm. to let anybody down. You know, didn't want anybody to think, OK, here's a woman in her late you know, 50s, all fuddy-duddy. I didn't want that feeling. You know, it's such a, it's such a shame that you, 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 you did that to yourself. And I'm sure that Darcy was... A, probably unaware of it, and B, would be mortified to think that even just her, her mere presence had done that to you. Yeah, she, well, she was lovely, though. You know, she took my hand and she was very encouraging and she helped me. I really missed her when she left. I mean, that tour that we had will have in my memory forever, you know, when you have big long legs and she'd do the splits because we shared a changing room. And, uh, yeah, and I think after she left, I thought, okay, I can just be myself, you know, so I, I like I say, it's it's in competition with myself. It's all about how I perceive myself, how I perceive myself. But, you know, when you go back and you look at the energy that you pour into really something that means so little, does it become a regret of yours that you've wasted so much time and energy on 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 sweating about how you look when it really doesn't matter? I think in the industry that I'm in, well, not I think, I know in the industry that I'm in, it was all part of it. It was all part of the journey. And I wouldn't be where I am today in my mindset and my thinking. Um, I, I think I'm always going to have an issue with myself, to be honest with you. Other people will always try to change it. But I think it's so embedded in me that I will always have an issue with me to, to do the best, look the best that I can in the public eye, you know, I just, I, I don't know, I, I just have high standards for myself, I think. So, so talk to me about Danny and how his attitude towards you is so different to any other relationship you've had and, and what that brings you. Well, Danny's attitude, it's not just towards me, it's towards everybody in his life. He's a very accepting person. So when I met him in pantomime, it didn't matter. He re and he reminded me a lot of my son who was on Broadway. You know, they they know every name of every person, the cameraman and the lady who's delivering the food and the, this one and that one. It's not just about their job. They go beyond. And I love that about him. And then when he started to pay in a bit of attention to me, I thought, well, I'm not really special because it's the way he treats everybody, which is lovely. His sisters, yeah. his mother, his father, you know, Charlie, my little lapper Atsu rescue dog. I mean, they're just inseparable, you know. So he's 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 helped along the way 
with my self-esteem for sure. But the only person who can truly help me is me. That's so true. But it does help, does it not, to have somebody that says, by the way, the real you without the lashes and the nails and the boobs is is pretty spectacular. Yeah, it, it does help. I remember the other day, I don't know if I can say this or not, but I was taking a shower and he popped in to get his cologne or something and I was all, you know, and he's, I said to him, no, I don't, I don't I don't like looking. He said, well, I do. You're fine. You're just fine. Ah, <laughs> good man. So I'll give him a shimmy shake. <laughs> Quick stamber in the shower. Honey, with all that soap going everywhere. <laughs> some, some, some undulations. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you two were friends for, for many months before friendship turned to romance. Yes. Do, do you think that's that's given you a, a chance to get, like you talked about the fact that you didn't really get to know Sammy before you got married. You just got married. Um, and and then with Corky, it was dance wrapped around both of those those marriages of, of, of yours. Yeah, he's just he's fun and he's he laughs a lot and uh, he's very helpful around the house. Of course, we used to see each other once a week, so it was really easy. And then we had lockdown. We chose to lock down together. My mum said, no, nope, I'll stay where I am. You two get to know each other and get to know each other. We did. So, you know, we've locked down all the way since we went into lockdown in March. Has it been difficult in some parts? Absolutely absolutely so being with somebody once a week is not like being with somebody seven days a week saturday sundays and holidays you learn the ins and outs of every little thing what's bothering blah 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 blah. but communication is key which we are still working on we're not there yet but we're still working on it it's a it's a work in progress and but we have a respect for each other he's a hard worker i'm a hard worker he pulls his weight in the house i pull my weight in the house and I have a strong affection for him. He's a very strong affection for me. So, and from there, we keep moving forward. But, you know, at first, when it's all that first initial honeymoon thing, oh, I can still see him, my son ringing in, in my ear. I can still hear him saying, don't get married, mother. Not again. Get to know each other. So I can hear his little voice in my ear saying that, you know, because it was all, oh, let's get married. Let's live. I could be Elizabeth Taylor, darling, with eight husbands, I'm sure. It's good. <laughs> it's a good job I have my son curbing me, you know. So, <laughs> That's because you raised him well. And counselling something that you, you're really opening, open uh, in, in terms of talking about, because it's really helped you, hasn't it? It's helped you to better understand you. Oh, I, I don't know where I'd be without that, to be honest, because I've had it a lot through my life. I mean, a lot. And sometimes, you know what, for me, again, only for me personally, it's somebody I can talk to that doesn't argue back, that doesn't want to give their opinion, that they will listen, truly listen, and then ask questions in a way where you have to self-answer them. So you have to answer your own questions. They're not telling you what to do or, oh, yes, I know how you feel. No, you don't. You don't know how I feel, you know, and that's the case. If you try to talk to a friend, I know how you feel. No, you don't. You're not in my shoes. So that's one thing I'm learning is that everybody's experience is different. Even now, if people talk to me about a problem or something, I never say I know how you feel. I will often turn and say, tell me how that makes you feel. It's a different way of talking to people because and then it's, they open up a little bit more. So it, it's knowing the right questions to ask. So I'm learning that also through this spell of counselling as well, plus dealing with the book and, and, and several other things. So, yeah, it works for me. Like I say, I look forward to it. I have my hour a week um, with a gentleman who's absolutely a star. And, yeah, it's great. Wouldn't change it. Love it, in fact. 
Well, it's crazy, isn't it? When you think about how much time and energy we pour into our physical selves and our physical well-being, you know, you go, I go to the gym three, four times a week. Well, checking in for an hour with a counsellor to to look at yourself, and that that's that's self-care, isn't it? And I think a lot of people yeah. in the UK still think that that therapy or counselling is something you turn to when you're when you have a problem. And actually, I think some of the best work you're doing in therapy is when there isn't a problem. You just, I mean, I just, I just, I just learned from the counsellor actually. You know that um, I can be not having such a good day now as we move into December is my brother's anniversary, and I can really be feeling like not great, like really dark. But what he says is I have the on button. So I can, if I've got to do something or an interview or go on the TV, have this ability to switch on lights, camera, action. The trouble with me is I don't know when to switch it off. So I'm learning that it's actually okay to be not okay. It's actually okay to be miserable. It's actually okay to be sad. It's actually okay to be furious. It's actually okay to be pissed off. It's actually okay some days to not like yourself. And then another day, love yourself. It's okay. As where for me, it was always a problem. Oh my goodness, people look at me. They want me to be like this. I must be like this. No, I don't. I don't have to be like that at all. So that's the stage at where I'm at right now is to find those moments where it's okay not to be okay. I I, I identified with, I was reading about um, you at home uh, in the Sunday Times and you talk about, I mean, your house is immaculate and you said that you're, you, you, you have OCD. Well, that was a little issue with Danny and I. It was a little bit at the beginning, you know, but my mum said, she said, Shirley, a house is to be lived in because if the strings on a rug are like all the strings going the same way and if I vacuum, don't put your footmarks in my carpet type of thing. So um, <laughs> that much. And, and my when you make the bed, it doesn't matter. Even if we're late, the bed has to be made. And now he does it. I give him 10 out of 10. At first, it was a 2 out of 10. So we we do it. We do it with fun. We'd laugh at each other, and I would watch what the pillows going on, and it has to be you know four inches from this side and this side of its ski width. But now, if it's ski width, I just go in and adjust it, and I don't say anything, you know, because it's okay. But uh, yeah, he pulls his weight in the house for sure, so that's good. If I cook, he washes up, and he does his best as a man. Let's put it that way. You you talked about the the fact that this this time of year is difficult for you, and I I, I really. Um, applauded you for speaking out about your brother and his passing how have you it's been it's been how many years now since your brother took his life it's uh, be 18 years this year on the 5th of December wow and yeah I, I I know from from what you've said before that the the clouds still roll in at this time of year it, it's never got easy has it well well this is a, again what I'm saying about when people say oh you really understand I'm so sorry about your brother unless you've had a loss of somebody to suicide no one will ever understand. And my mother, it's just buried. It will never go away. It's just buried. And when we have a drink at Christmas, we we talk about him. There's tears and there's emotions and 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 little things like yesterday, the musical play by the Beatles, we played that as his funeral or something his daughter does. You know, she works for the National Health, something she does. And I think, you know, my brother could have been here for that. And uh, so many different things that he's missed out on. But, you know, like my mum said, I have him in an urn in my house and my mum has a beautiful plaque in her garden, forever young. And we will remember him for the for the protector of our family because he was definitely about my mother and myself. He was a very unselfish person where we were concerned. And, uh, and I'll miss him every single day and we'll set a seat for him at Christmas and uh, he'll always be Aww. a part. And we will, I will decorate the house this year's a full-on decoration for the first time so we will do that really? and, uh, 
Yeah. I'm Has it been go- 18 years since you've been able to do that, Shirley? Well, when I met Danny, we had a little tree and his encouragement and a few baubles. And, uh, but this year it will be full on do the house because we're going to be in lockdown. Neither of us can do panto because it's been cancelled. So we're fortunate enough that we're going to have the house decorated by, who is it, Laura Wayfair? Wayfair are going to do it. So, So it's going to be beautiful and I'm very excited about that. So, and then we'll try to celebrate it and he will be very much part of those celebrations, but a very, very difficult subject to write about for sure. I bet it was. And it, I mean, unless you, as you say, unless you've lived through that that kind of loss, it's really hard to understand. And yet, especially so close to Christmas, what advice would you give to somebody that is living with that kind of loss at a time when families come together and everyone feels this huge expectation to be happy and festive. I can only speak from my own point of view because everybody's situation and tragic circumstances are their own. But the best thing I can say is what I've learned over the last years is talk about them and include them. Mm -hmm. So talk about the happy times, have a toast, light a candle, sit down with your friends, have an hour where it's dedicated to the loved one that's not there and remember all the memories that we were blessed with. And keep them close and, you know, not to feel like I've, I'm riddled with guilt over my brother, but you know, at some point one has to try to let go. It's hard, it's very difficult for anybody who's had a, lo- a loved one lost. So, and it's difficult times when it comes to holidays and Christmas, but talking about them can ease it a little, I feel, with my mother and I, and I know when she needs it. So I get a little totty out. She, she's prone to a whiskey and dry ginger. So we'll get that out. <laughs> I have a little gin and tonic, although I'm not a, a drinker, but I'll sit and have a few of them. <laughs> and then we will just relive his past. And, uh, and then we, you know, we feel he's really there and we have a good laugh and a good cry. So that's what we will yeah. be doing. Well, I really, um, it's it's lovely to hear that Christmas is starting to become more Christmas-like for you. Thank um, you. Thank you. But it's, been, it's been 18 years. Yeah, 18 that's, that's years. It's gone time. so fast. His daughter was 10. She's now what? She'll be going on to 28 in February. And she, there's another family member that you, you took in. You really are Mother Goose. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I would like, if I died, I would like to just think that I can write on it that helped so many in, in her journey. So it's more about, you know, helping others than yourself, you know. It really is, isn't it? It really is. Join us next week where we'll be joined by one of this year's contestants. No spoilers, my lips are sealed. She is an absolute joy. No need to wait a full week, though. I'll be back on Friday with a brand new guest. Until then, thanks so much for your company. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.